Hi everyone, I'm Lindsay Hislop and this is When I Grow Up, I Want To Be, the career podcast. For over 15 years, I've been working with professional athletes, Olympians and other individuals, supporting them in their own personal and professional development. From my experience, one of the methods to help with this guidance that has a huge positive impact is simply learning and hearing from others. And so here on this podcast, you have the opportunity to do just that. I have conversations with women in a range of jobs to gain an insight into what they actually do, how they got to be where they are, what their career journey has been like, and hear what advice they would give to others that are interested in their career. Hopefully, these conversations will be interesting and enlightening, and they might even be a good guide for you for when you're asked the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? This week's conversation is with Dr. Kate Hayes, the Head of Women's Psychology at the FA. Now, for someone who has a background in psychology and who works in elite sport, you can just imagine how excited I was to speak to Kate. I was so grateful to her as she literally talked me through step by step, opportunity by opportunity, sport by sport, how she got to where she is now. So you're going to hear us talk about being a, what we called a reluctant academic, which was so refreshing. And also how she's helped create, build and grow a legacy in rowing across Olympic sports and now in her work in football. The insight into her career, what it took for her to become a sports psychologist and now head of psychology at the FA, as well as some amazing advice for anybody out there who's interested not just in sports psychology, but in psychology qualifications, how they can translate into other careers, and it's just fantastic. So, I hope you enjoy. Here goes. Hi there, Kate. Thank you so much for joining me. Good to see you. And yourself. Thanks very much for having me. No, thank you. so from when you said that you would be happy to be on the podcast um, and when we set a date, since then, I've been I've been so looking forward to talking to you um, from a professional kind of point of view, from a personal point of view, to be able to sit down and have a one to one conversation with you is great. So I'm really, really looking forward to it. And I guess where that's kind of come from is my background, I did um my sport and exercise psychology masters purely with a view of working in sport I didn't quite know how why what I would end up doing um but previous job to that I kind of learned different skills and qualities and interest about myself and what I wanted to progress with being interested at psychology at a level just led me to doing sports psychology and then kind of stars aligned the job that I that I then went on to came up in rugby and that was a sport that I'd been brought up surrounded by so I didn't go into sports psychology and I think there's that assumption that doing sports psychology masters was that will you go on to be a sports psych so it was something that I considered and I think it's just what I'm looking forward to is I work in elite sports and environments and I've got an interest in psychology and I've kind of done some studying in that in that way but I've not gone into that so mm-hmm. my role is is very different to um 
the kind of role that I think people would assume that you would go into. So I'm just really interested to hear what your career journey has been um, and how you've got to where you are and what your interests were. And if, I don't know, if any stars aligned along the way that gave you different ideas and, and thoughts on how you got to where you are. So I guess, firstly, a good place to start is if you can just tell me a bit about your current role, what you actually do and what your day-to-day work is like. Um, yeah, my current, well, my current role is um, is as head of psychology at the FA in the Women's um, Technical Directorate. So I work in, on, the, on the women's side. Um, and my current role is pretty varied as all sports <laughs> psychology roles tend to be to be completely honest um so a large priority of my work is our senior lionesses and um, so I work as part of Serena Vigman's um support team to support our senior lionesses um but I'm also responsible for the psychology strategy across the women's program so that's from our under 17s um, through to our under-23s and then into the seniors. Um, and as part of that role, we've brought on some additional consultant psychologists to work with their age group teams. Um, I also sit on SLT at the FA as part, again, as part of that women's programme. Um, and I also have a part to play in trying to liaise with um, the pro game and clubs as much as possible, um, just to have conversations around psychology within um, the club game too. And as part of that, we've set up a bit of a community of practice. So any sports psychologist that's working in the women's game, whether that's in the WSL or the championship, has got access to a community of practice where we put on different CPD sessions um, and we we try to get a network of practitioners together to, to learn from each other. Wow. And that's all within a working week. <laughs> <laughs> a working week pretty much does include all of those different elements. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so is, is that important then? So when you've talked about um, there being that kind of network for psychologists working within the women's game or within women's sport, is that important that, um, that there is something for those working within women's sport with female athletes? I think... Yes, is a, is, a, is a short answer to that. But I, I don't just think for women's sport, I just think in general, okay. I think sports psychology can be a, a lonely career at times. And the reason I say that is because when you, particularly when you're working within a team sport, you've normally got a team of physios and then and the doctor's normally included in that, in that kind of medical team. You've always got a team of coaching staff You've mm-hmm. usually got a, a team of kind of analysts and 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 performance analysis staff, and then you've got a psych. Right. It's very, very rare, although that is changing, but it's still quite rare that there'd be more than one psychologist in a team. Mm-hmm. And so, because you've got a, a role that that influences every single other area of the team, you're always you're always on and you're always at yeah. work. Yeah. Um, and your role is to kind of have that umbrella that that is there to support everybody. Mm. So having that network of support yourself actually becomes fundamental. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess it's bouncing ideas around sharing 100%, knowledge. A hundred percent. It's it's having a safe space to be able to bounce ideas around, to share knowledge and um and to and to work alongside others. And and for me, so I I started out in um working with British diving. Um, and as and contracted to British Diving and then kind of the EIS, um, the EIS, the English Institute of Sport kind of came into 
into the playing field and that obviously developed and, and grew as, as time went on and I had the opportunity to, to make a choice as to whether to stay directly contracted to a sport or to go into the institute and I chose to go into the institute for that reason is that it provided an opportunity to be part of a bigger team of psychologists mm. and and ultimately it's the being able to share ideas to be able to learn from others to be able to problem solve together it just enhances the the delivery and the ability of everybody concerned yeah. so for me that was a really important part of my career journey to be able to come into a team of the practitioners yeah and it, it's constantly evolving constantly learning athletes are constantly changing progressing enhancing Absolutely. and the, and the discipline has just evolved yeah. so much in I've been doing the job for 20 years now <laughs> which makes me feel really old. Um, but I have, I've been doing it. I've been doing the job for over, for over 20 years and the perception of psychology within that time, particularly within Olympic Paralympic sport has changed so much. Mm. I think the, the idea of sports psychology being a problem solving service, whether there's an issue you go and see the psych, it's so far away from that. That perception has changed so much and it's so far away from that now, which is a really good thing. Yeah. Um, but, you, but you have to move and you have to learn and you have to evolve with that. Yeah. Um, a lot of the reason that the discipline has changed so much is because the people within it have been now doing the job for a long time yeah um, and so naturally there's been that evolution which has been which has been really good yeah and I think it's it's summed up there that when you said that you know you've got the medical staff and um, that there's so many different teams but but that a psych although as you said it that can be quite a lonely role you are integrated within that and I think as you said years ago it was hard to get that integrated as within psychology because it was just seen so different absolutely um, and particularly in team sports so there are those different teams but the psych's got a foot in it all of them mm, so yeah. you know in particular in my current role I, I'm part of the medical team I'm part of the technical team I'm part of the playing obviously not out on the field of play but <laughs> <laughs> I spend a lot of time with the players um you do you do sort of float between yeah all of the teams without really being fully established yeah. in any one of them <laughs> yeah yeah the impact that you have is felt within all of them um yeah potentially and and the collaboration with all of them is really important yeah so with your with your current role um what would you say is is the most stressful part of what you do um the most stressful part for me is is the hot spots when there is a lot going on and it's difficult to maintain work-life balance and for me I've got three children so I have a, a three-year-old a five-year-old and a 12-year-old I've got three kids and as you can imagine I spend a lot of time away from home Gosh. so the time that when it when things are stressful for me it's not so much the job it's the balance of mm. the job and uh, the school run and spending time with <laughs> with the family and and trying trying to keep all of the all of the trains on the tra all all of the different trains on the track yeah and kind yeah. of switching off I guess as well that when you're when you're working with individuals in high performance environments um and the conversations that I'm kind of anticipating that you have how do you switch off but my, I, I have to reflect and work things through before I can switch off. And that's a reality. And I think that my experience of working from home, as all of us are doing slightly more of at times now, doesn't necessarily help that. And I think it's something that a lot of people have experienced. For me, the travel helps. 
So being able to finish work and have an hour and 20 minutes in the car at the end of the day is massively helpful for me because yeah. I need, I just need that thinking time. I need to work things through. I need to reflect. And then having the opportunity to do that means that when I walk through the door, I can be present at home. Yeah. I cannot go from, from my office upstairs into the family downstairs <laughs> and be present if I haven't had that space and time to think. Yeah. And so I, trying to create that at home is really important. But when you're out on the road, it becomes slightly easier because you get the travel time, which is just really good opportunity. Yeah. To think. Yeah. And I guess as well, that's where having the network around you as well to be able to, if there is something that you need to to talk through, then you've got other professionals that you can talk yeah, through absolutely. with. Absolutely. And I have regular supervision. Um, I have regular supervision in place, but also a network of other people, as you said, that I could pick up the phone to any one of them at yeah. any point. To, yeah. To, so use them as a bit of a sounding board really sometimes you just need to talk, yeah. vent yeah. get it yeah. get it off yeah. Yeah. yeah and what's the most what's the most boring part of your role never a dull moment <laughs> phrase that uh that springs to mind honestly there, there is not a single There's part nothing. of my job that I would describe as boring no it's there really isn't um the least enjoyable <laughs> maybe that's a better phrase actually the yeah. least enjoyable part of for me of of being a of, of being a psych is notes okay uh, and because because of just because I do my I I, I don't necessarily make sense of things by write, writing notes I've made sense of things in the moment during a consultancy and then through my thought process afterwards so by the time you come to writing it it's I've done that now you're just yeah. documenting it yeah that's yeah. the bit that I find least enjoyable if I'm honest but it's part of the it's part of the course it's just something that you have to do the amount of time the amount of these conversations I've had of when that question comes up paperwork that's that yeah. seems to be it is, isn't it it's admin uh, yeah that, yeah Inbox, yeah. my inbox and uh and keeping notes is probably the least yeah. <laughs> so opposite to that then what's what do you enjoy the most oh everything I, I mean I've always been interested in psychology from a vet from from the from the youngest ages that I, that I can remember I always was interested in in programs on television that got into the psychology. The one that I always remember was Cracker. I don't know what age you are. I don't know if you were ever remember that. Um, um, but Criminal Psychology, it was a great show where they kind of solved things by looking at, at why people did what they did, et cetera. And, and I read books around that kind of stuff. And I've just always been fascinated in human behavior. Okay. I, I don't know necessarily even where or where, where that comes from or why. I just always have. So even as a young kid, if if things were unfolding in front of me, I never really took it at face value. There was always an internal dialogue of, well, well why? And how might that person be feeling? And why are they behaving in that way? Or what's the reason behind that? And so it's always been absolutely fascinating to me. I just have a genuine love and curiosity around psychology. Yeah. Inquisitive um, nature. I think so. But 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 more related to human behaviour than yeah. any, anything else that I can think of in life. Like that's yeah. where my real curiosity is, is, is in human beings and human behavior. Um, and so with that in mind, it's very, very difficult for any part of it to not really be enjoyable because your okay. job is, is a human business. 
And whether that's just one-to-one with a player in a consultancy or whether it's in a meeting room and observing what's going on or whether it's trying to problem solve and it's just it's fascinating it's really varied it's really different one day to the next can look completely different and also just the environment of high performance sport it's just a brilliant environment to be part of and to be involved in yeah um huge highs low lows um yeah and the opportunity to meet a variety of different people that in ordinary or in ordinary ordinary life I probably never would have had the opportunity to mm. meet yeah I look back on my career and the different opportunities that I've had and I just feel so privileged to have met the people that I've met and to have the opportunity to work alongside some phenomenal individuals really collaboratively and be able to create something together that none of us would have been able to create on our own yeah and that's what I absolutely love about my job it's the ability to just to work collaboratively around developing systems and, and methods of doing things that enable people to be successful but doing that really collaboratively as part of a team and that's the thing isn't it in sport no one person is ever responsible for anything. No. It, it comes from a group of people being able to work really well together um, and that's the beauty of it yeah ab- absolutely absolutely and with your role um I'm thinking specifically with the work that you do with the lionesses um what is it about your role that might surprise people or that is there anything that surprised you with doing that role I don't I don't I think everything surprises people because when you speak to people that don't work in sport they have no concept of what sports psychology is a sports psychologist is and what you do Mm-hmm. So any time that you get into a conversation about your job, you normally get, wow, that sounds really interesting because then people just don't have any comprehension of what the role is and what it might look like. Yeah. Uh, the thing that surprised me the most, it's, it, it's, it, was, it sounds really bizarre, but it is really true. I, I did my psychology degree in London at Goldsmiths um, University. Um, and then I went into Sheffield, I went up to Sheffield and did my master's in, in sports psychology so you, you spend your psychology degree learning about psychology, about human behavior, all different types of psychology, cognitive psychology, developmental psychology, psychopathology, lots of different areas. And then you specialize during your master's. So I chose to kind of specialize in sport. And you learn about these, you learn about how you apply those principles into the context of high performance sport, how you might work with individuals. And then after your master's, you get into this period of supervised experience where you start to put some of those things into into play and actually do the work. And the thing that surprised me the most was how quickly and how much impact simple mental skills training can actually have on performance. Okay. That honestly, which sounds like a really weird thing to say, but you don't you don't know it until you you do it and you don't see the impact of it until you start working in an applied setting yeah yeah and that's the thing that has always surprised me even 20 years later it still surprises me but the impact of good mental skills training and good methods and processes around performance has a profound performance impact yeah more so than you, you know, you can read about it in journals and textbooks and all the rest of it. But when you're actually working in an applied setting and you see yeah. the impact that it can have, yeah, it, it's really quite phenomenal. And have you seen have you seen a difference there? So when you've said that you've had a twenty year career, have you seen a difference in athletes 
um, kind of being open to the different techniques and methods that you use from when you first started, just because of because of sports psych being more well known within sport, um, has it been more have, have athletes been a bit more open to it? Have they have they already tried things? Um, so conversely, actually, have they already tried things that then they're a bit reluctant to try others because maybe something else didn't work or or didn't get the result they wanted? How has that changed? I don't, if I'm completely honest, I don't think the, the athlete openness to it has changed hugely okay. because I think it's always been there. Yeah. And it's really difficult to say to, because every context that I've gone into has been completely different. So working in diving in, in an individual sport with quite young um, athletes initially to then work then those athletes transitioned into the senior squad so then so then work I worked with those and I'd gone on that journey with them to then going into men's professional sport team sport to then going into women's professional team sport and doing various different things in between each of those contexts has been completely different mm-hmm. um I've been incredibly lucky to have always worked within settings where the coaching team have been incredibly open to psychology um, and the the athletes always have been. I, I think there are different things that might influence that. I think some I think some athletes don't feel like it's for them and that's okay. I think there are athletes that have maybe not had great experiences with psychology. So that maybe might that that might then influence their perceptions of it. Um, but on the whole, the athlete populations that I've worked with certainly have always been pretty open to it. Yeah. They're wanting to to be the best that they can. So Yeah. Wanting to be the best that they can and also just needing a safe space to be able yeah. to to be able to download download sometimes as well. And to have somebody there that is to support them that isn't making selection decisions and isn't yeah. that, um, I think is is really useful. And and I, I would extend that to the coaches as well. Like coaching an elite sport is 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 really demanding, and they're mm. under a huge mm. pressure a lot of the time. So for mm. coaches to have a safe space and a logical sounding board, I think it's imperative. Mm. And again, I'm going back to this whole network. You know that as a professional, having that that network has been important to you, um, and it's you know it's just the same for them of being yeah, able absolutely. to to offload absolutely. Absolutely. and talk things through. Yeah. So you've said before that um, your interest with Cracker and um, the whole kind of criminal kind of aspect there. Um, if you were asked when you were younger the question, um, what do you want to be when you grow up? What did you say? A 1,500-metre runner. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> well, that's, that's the reality of it. I, I, I never, ever wanted to go to university. Um <laughs> I I I um, was a competitive swimmer and a competitive runner when I was younger. Um, so I was one of these kids that was always trained, was always at training. I was just okay. always doing sport. Um, so I swam every night of the week. I also did running training a couple of nights a week. I swam sessions tra- before school. Um, competed in galas and and track or cross country at the weekend. I was just constantly doing sport. Um, and I grew up when I was young around the era of kind of the um Sebco and my my parents were quite into athletics and watched a lot of that stuff and we always used to watch Sunday grandstand on a Sunday morning and we were just really into sport so I hadn't really ever thought about what I might want to do I just wanted to be an athlete okay um 
but unfortunately <laughs> um my my knees were probably not designed for for that <laughs> i started to get loads of injury issues um in my teenage years i'd gone more warm weather training one year with a different coach and they started to make some changes to the running stuff my running style and that kind of brought out problems with my knee which essentially I'd kind of been masking by just changing how I was doing things to right. alleviate pain and anyway that sports science was not then what it is now and probably <laughs> now I would have had half a chance but then I definitely didn't and I remember getting results of MRI scans and going and speak to a consultant and him just saying that you're never gonna you're not you're not gonna run so Gosh. then it's like, okay well now what so outside of sport the only other thing that I was really interested in was art and psychology okay both my parents went to art college and they were both worked in advertising so a level wise it was pretty easy for me I did an a level in PE art and psychology <laughs> um and then um I, as I said I was never intending to go to university because I wanted to just run but when, when it became very apparent that that wasn't the direction of travel um it was making a decision then okay well what do I want to do well I'm really interested in psychology so I'm just going to go and study that and actually sports psychology at that time wasn't a big thing it wasn't spoken about a lot um and so it was during my psychology degree that I'd started to think about well is there is there an avenue there and I started to do some research on sports psychology and found that um this guy in Maynard was doing quite a lot of psychology work up in Sheffield and was also running the masters up there and so um that's kind of the the direction of travel for me I love sport I love psychology and it was an opportunity to put those two things together and for me as an athlete, if I was competing on a Saturday by Wednesday, I would already be nervous. I used to have such bad competitive anxiety. Wow. And I, I still remember really well. My dad just always used to walk around the athletics arenas with me and we'd go through the race and how we were going to go approach it tactically and how you're going to approach the first 100 into the first bend. And, and essentially what it was doing was helping me work out a process that enabled me to that enabled me to focus on something other than oh my god what time am I going to run and how fast is everybody else and am I going to win and lose so in, in essence it was it was good sports psychology yeah and and I always used to I always thought to myself as as, as, I, as I've worked in the field I wish as a kid I'd have had the opportunity to work with somebody because I think it would have made a massive difference to me just in being able to control that that competitive anxiety and be able to focus on the right yeah. thing at the right time um so yeah that's how I ended up going into university and then I'd done the research and went into my master's and at that point that I was absolutely nailed on this is what I'm going to do for a job yeah is that something reflecting back um do you do you think that's been almost like a driver of of your career of when you've said that you wish when you were younger that you would have that support is there is that helped drive you in a way I think it's I think it was the experience it was the first-hand experience of knowing how useful that would have been mm -hmm. and just having those conversations with my dad how much of an impact that had on help helping me be able to compete yeah and then it's just, it's it, you know, I'm really lucky that I've been able to have a career in my life passions. Do you know what I mean? Like the, yeah. the thing yeah. that I'm most interested in, the stuff that I've loved ever since I was a kid is psychology and sport. Yeah. And so the fact that I've been able to have a 20 year career as a sports psychologist is pretty amazing <laughs> because I've been able to to turn the stuff that I love into a career and a, and a job. Yeah. Um, so it was it was a 
the reason I got into doing what I got into was because of natural curiosity around psychology and a love of sport and then having experiences of those things yeah. and reflecting back on on how I found things as an athlete not to the level of the the athletes that I work with but just mm -hmm. the, my experiences of if you know training 12 times a week and competing and and trying to figure out how you're gonna put all of that into practice at competitions etc it's just yeah mm. I, I think those early experiences led me to led me down that path yeah um, but, but you know psychology as you've experienced yourself you studied it it's a really open subject mm. here. and I, my my belief is that everybody could benefit from from studying mm. psychology but of our master's cohort, I think only two of us actually went into work as 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 applied sports psychologists. Okay. And there wasn't a huge amount of opportunity back then either. Like you're talking about two, 20 years ago. There's yeah. a lot, there's a lot of jobs now. Yeah. And, and I think that will continue to, I think the field will continue to grow. Yeah. And I'm kind of thinking of of the women's sport as well, of just how much women's sport's growing, that there's going to be more funding within women's sport. Absolutely. As it progresses on. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah, aspects like that. And how important has it been for you, um, or or how important is it for, for somebody that's looking at or interested in psychology? They might be one interest in, in psychology. They might have an interest in sport. How important do you think it is that somebody has competed in sport to then go on to be a sports psych? Oh, it's really, that, that really <laughs> interesting question. And as you're saying that, I'm trying to think of anyone I know in the field that hasn't competed, and I can't really think of anyone. Do you need to have competed at the highest level? No, I don't believe you do. And in the specific sport, because I know that, you've worked as a sports psych in certain sports that you've not competed in. you've worked in with within men's team sports um so you've competed yeah. but not necessarily in that sport I've never worked well my my sports were swimming and athletics and I've never I've never worked in swimming or athletics right so the two sports that I had the most knowledge of and experience in are sports that I've never worked with Right. And okay. The first sport that I worked with was diving, which I started in 2003. And I was still doing work with 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 an individual on and off right the way through into into the Tokyo Games. So for a prolonged period of time. Okay. I didn't knew absolutely nothing about diving when I started to work with diving. And wow. ultimately, I don't think you need to. I don't I, I honestly don't. I think that I think there can be benefits of having an understanding. And I also think that there can be, well, it's pros and cons, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So if you have no understanding, then you have no baggage and you have um, no biases. And you also have an opportunity for athletes and staff to teach you about their world, mm -hmm. which is yeah. hugely positive. Um, I think in, in, I, I think there can be instances though where having an understanding and the psychological demands of it and the language used and yeah. tech tack knowledge could be helpful yeah yeah and how what you're what you're asking of athletes um that there's some kind of understanding there of what you're asking that's then being put into practice yeah but not necessarily at that kind of level Okay. Yeah, and and you know the th the thing about psychology as well is is that you you're you're brought in with psych expertise in psychology, 
to become part of a team where they have huge expertise technically, tactically, physically, etc. So mm-hmm. I, I think your role is to provide a slightly different lens for people to look through. Mm-hmm. It isn't you're not there to provide expertise on on yeah on ta- technical tactical elements. Yes. But how skills are acquired, et cetera, is, is, of course, important. And different psychologists work in different ways. They have different methods as well. So that can be a factor. It could be somebody that has competed at a high level in a certain sport, um, but has different practices, different ways of working that might not suit the yeah. individual, suit the team, suit the, the current yeah. climate. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And also the way in which the discipline has evolved, evolved as well. So it's psychologists now in sport, a, a lot of particularly experienced psychologists are working much more systemically. And it, and that's important in team sport. If you're working with, within a team where you've got 50 individuals on a squad list, it's very difficult to influence the performance of the team by doing <laughs> one-to-one work. The best opportunity to influence the performance of the team is to be working alongside and through the co- the technical coaches, right? And, yeah, and and helping and helping facilitate an environment that's conducive to to high performance and also to positive mental health to give people the best opportunity to perform successfully. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a requirement, particularly in team sport, but even organisationally now, for psychologists to be able to work much more systemically okay. and yeah. influence performance at an organisational or a team level versus doing um, lots and lots of one-to-one work. Yeah, yeah. And that's changed, as you said, over time and just with different experience. Yeah, and the disciplines. Time, yeah, the disciplines evolved. The 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 disciplines evolved. That it's a it. You know, sports psychology is not new anymore. Um, there's lots of people that have been doing pride and research for for a long, long mm-hmm. time now. Um, so you know, as with other things, things change, don't they? Yeah. Is there a is there a higher expectation of what a sports psychologist can do now? Then, I think it depends <clears throat> on the context in which you work. So, so for me, there's different levels. As, as a sports psychologist, you could be doing one-to-one work with mm-hmm. players and or staff. You could be doing um, competition support. You could be providing um, training support. So how do you advance psychological characteristics through tech-tac training, pressure training, those types of things. You could be working culturally or, or envir- culturally environmentally with the system. Um, and you could be working on relationship dynamics, whether that's between players, athlete, 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 staff, 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 etc. <laughs> so you could be providing expertise in one of any one or all of those spaces. I think whether a psychologist is doing that depends on two things. I think one is a competence of the practitioner and whether they yeah. have the skill set to be able to deliver across all of those areas. Yeah. And the second is the readiness of the sport and what the sport's actually looking for. And is yeah. the sport looking for somebody to come in and facilitate yeah. the cultural environment or is the sport looking for somebody to come in and just do some really good work with a group of individuals who they want to develop their performance mindset? Yeah. And so partly it's competence of practitioner and partly it's readiness of the sport. Yeah. And that the second aspect, that can change depending Absolutely. on, you know, coaching staff, the internal staff. Absolutely. Changing of body absolutely and that's what that's quite often what happens is that a sports psychologist would be brought in to do a job and that involves in evolves to a very different job as the understanding of individuals within that context changes 
yeah yeah and with the work so you now work with the lionesses and you've said of the previous roles that you've that you've done can you talk me through um and I know that this is a big question but how did you get to be the sports psychologist that works with the lionesses what's been your how how did you kind of get into that role what have you done before and how did you how did you and why did you potentially change into different roles to get there was it was it an aspiration that that's a, a career plan um or did stars align along the way no I don't think yeah it was never it was never necessarily a career I never necessarily had a career plan beyond the fact that I wanted to be a sports psychologist um I've been fortunate I think to different opportunities have arisen and so for me the my my journey was uh, that I started out in in diving so in an individual olympic sport um and I was working across diving at that time had four high performance centers one in Plymouth one in Southampton one in Sheffield and one in Leeds so I was spending my time well in fact after my PhD I actually went into I was doing the work with diving which I started in 2003 and then I did some lecturing as well so and, and the reason for doing that was because at that time there there weren't that many full-time sports psychology jobs that existed. So I finished my PhD and I went into lecturing sports psychology at a university and I was also working with, with British diving. And over time, the consultancy hours increased and I, that's really what where my heart was. Okay. What I would say, though, is that anybody going into any field would benefit from doing some lecturing. Okay. I, it was massively useful to me and I if I'm ever supervising practitioners I always recommend that they go and do some lecturing because they you have to learn how to enjoy standing in front of 200 people and presenting and in my first year of lecturing I'll be very honest I didn't enjoy it at all so <laughs> on a Sunday evening I'd, I would already feel anxious about the fact that on Monday morning I was going to have to stand up in front of 200 people and deliver a lecture it took me a year to it took me a year to be okay with that it probably took me another year to really get used to it to the point where it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't anxiety inducing anymore and then it was probably the third year where I actually started to really enjoy it Wow. But I think that that's provided a really good foundation for me for the rest of my career because I don't have I don't have any you know the usual level of 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 nerves which is normal but I don't I don't struggle to with public speaking which I yeah. think had I not done that I think I would have found it difficult yeah so I've gone off on a bit of a tangent there but I, I, but I was working with with diving and I was working across four high performance centers so doing a lot of traveling um and then I got pregnant with my first child in um in in 2010 and it was that realization that as a mother, am I going to be able to do a job that requires me to be in opposite ends of the country? Um, and the and the answer to that was probably no. So whilst I was on maternity leave, I brought in another practitioner to work in the in the north, so support Leeds and, and Sheffield. And I concentrated when I came back from maternity leave and just working in the south. Um, but yeah I it was still it was still difficult it was it nowhere that I worked was close so I was living in in Kent and my place of work was Plymouth and Southampton um so it was still difficult and then an opportunity came up with a uh, with a rugby team um and that had actually come up whilst whilst I was still on maternity leave or just coming back from maternity leave 
and I had those huge, uh, you know, people talk about imposter syndrome. I've had imposter syndrome for my entire career and I've come to accept that as being a positive thing now. Um, but I, I had this opportunity to to, to work with, with a men's rugby rugby team and I had all those usual thoughts around, well, uh, can I can I do it? Am I gonna am I good enough to be able to do that? Um and anyway, I I went into that role and it was my first opportunity really to work in a team sport. And I think it's fair to say that I learned at least as much, if not more, from the the staff there than than they learned from me. <laughs> but, but what I did learn and what I got the opportunity to learn was was what does sports psychology look like in a team setting? And actually, right. if you've got 40 individuals in a squad, you, you're not going to get very far doing lots of one-to-one work. So how do we create systems and processes and approaches that are conducive to enhancing performance? Mm-hmm. And we collaboratively did that, I think, as a team of individuals. And, and I really started to get interested in in, in systemic psychology and, and team psychology. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I started myself to develop a framework for okay what does that look like and if you're going into a team setting what are you assessing that team against from a psychological perspective and what's the framework for how you might deliver and so I started to get really interested in that and then I remember getting a call from Cambridge rowing team you know the Cambridge Oxford boat race yeah in in 2015 they um the 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 boat sponsor the condition of sponsorship was that the women race the tideway alongside the men so the, the boat race had always been the men racing on the, yeah. on, the on on boat race day the Oxford Cambridge Oxford Cambridge race and the women raced in the in the days leading into that and it wasn't televised and and the condition of the sponsorship was that they were given the same rights the same media interest etc and I mean what a project to get involved in like absolutely absolutely phenomenal and so I got contacted by rowing by by the Cambridge rowing team and you know they 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 wanted to get their 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 team ready for for that race and you know it wasn't necessarily about the result it was about that that team being able to line up in front of hundreds of thousands of people and being watched by millions on tv that the boat race is and be able to execute what they were capable of executing yeah Yeah. and so that's never been done before oh it was just so brilliant That, that role was so brilliant and those girls were phenomenal just phenomenal individuals the 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 schedule that they that they had to work to and getting up at five o'clock in the morning to train and then studying at Cambridge all day and finishing and training and then going back and studying and going to bed at midnight and doing that for they were just phenomenal individuals and we started to really talk about okay culturally how do we set up a high performance culture in a I think it's fair to say at that point it wasn't necessarily a high performance environment and and again it was working with those with those athletes and we were working with that staff and we actually went on a bit of journey to how do we create a high performance environment and how do we ensure that people we give those individuals the best opportunity for success and I only have intended to do that for one year but it was brilliant so I ended up we didn't, first year, we didn't win the race but we, the second year we won the um wow one that we won the like the, the 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 um the the b race and then the following year they won everything and it, it was it, it was just a really really phenomenal experience and yes yeah, and then you know the different things and then I ended up doing a 
um, a slightly different role where I was doing a performance lead role for a portfolio of Olympic sports, where my role was to align the sports science medicine staff to what it takes to win in those sports. And but I missed the psychology. And then the opportunity came up to lead the psychology team at the English Institute of Sport, which wow. at that time I felt ready to do. And lots and lots of lots yeah. of different experiences, but everyone has been very different to the last, but it's required the learning from the previous role to be successful at and that's how I feel my career's gone I've gone from doing individual psychology into team sport into organizations um into leading a team of practitioners into developing how sports psychology is delivered in high performance sport and then taking all of that learning into the role that I'm in now so each each role that I've done required me to have done the one before it but it was never just accidental it was never planned that way it just ended up being the way that it was (laughs) and I I think it's so interesting and I just think it's so good to hear as well because somebody you know that's gone to university that's really interested in sports psychology their aim might be because they want to be the sports psych for the lionesses that might be their career goal but it's just so good to hear that you know, it was it that wasn't your goal for you, but if it is, great. But all of these amazing experiences can lead you to that. So, not to discredit or not to to say no to opportunities because it doesn't specifically align to that one goal. That it oh yeah, all, all yeah. does just go. Everything to does in the end. But and, and I think that's always been my view on it. Like every single role that I've had the opportunity to deliver, that's how I've seen it. What an opportunity. What an opportunity yeah. to meet a different set of athletes, work with a different team of staff. There's phenomenal individuals working in, in high-performance sport and you yeah. cannot fail to learn from every single one of them. Yeah, and, yeah. And then, that, and then that was brilliant. That, that, that's why I really love my time at the English Institute of Sport as well and leading the team there because what we did with that team post the Olympics in, in Rio was essentially write the framework for how you deliver sports psychology systemically in in high performance sport and you know we had the benefit of 30 odd practitioners that had been working in sport for a long time but also access to athletes and to be able to listen to their experiences to coaches to performance directors and 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 I I think now going into the my current role with the lionesses I have a, a very well established framework for what I believe to be the recipe for success if you walk yeah. into a team so I, you know, I didn't have that twenty years ago. Yeah, and now I and now I do. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it just I, it's been the last twenty years have been brilliant. Like absolutely, I wouldn't change any of it. Like people always ask me, like if you weren't if you weren't a psychologist, well, if you weren't a sports psychologist, what would you do? Genuinely, if I had my time again, I'd done exactly the same exactly thing. The same. Yeah. yeah. Even being, I call I call myself a reluctant academic. That <laughs> you know that that wasn't the aim of why you went to university that you kind of that you just you're interested in so that's the same for me I call myself a reluctant academic that's then open doors and and things and that it's okay it's okay to be like that um yeah and and I think that's been the that that's been probably my approach the whole way through my life I've done stuff because I think it's interesting so I I started psychology because I think it's really interesting and I've done jobs sometimes where I just it was just exciting yeah what I mean it's like the prospect of it every single job that I've ever taken is that someone someone's approached me I've had a conversation about it I've gone oh that sounds really exciting 
I think we could go on a journey. That that's always been the that's always been the driver for me. Yeah. Oh, there's a, it, that's a journey. That's a bit. There's a bit of a journey there. Is there anything that you've started with that mindset that it hasn't then been that it's not kind of been how you've how you've anticipated it being? You'll still learn from it, but. No, no, not really. <laughs> like there, you know, there's been hard days at the office. Don't yeah. get me wrong. There's been some like, there's been some difficult, there's been some difficult times. Um, but there are, but yeah, they've all been, they've all been journeys. They've all been, yeah. you know, they've all been journeys. They've all, they've always had a purpose to them. And I think that's another thing that I've been, that I've really enjoyed about my career is that I've been able to come on board with teams as they've been going on a journey. Mm. Like I've never, yeah, but there's always been some, there's always been something that the individual or the team is trying to achieve that they haven't achieved before. Wow. Okay. Every single role that has been the case. Yeah. So every single one. And that's been the bit that's been so exciting is being part of the team that managed to get to the point of achieving the, the the goal yeah part of the rise of the sport of the yeah. individual yeah yeah absolutely yeah now this one the two points might be the same or they might be different so what would you say is your one career highlight and the second what are you most proud of so they might be the same or they might be different I'm just interested in if you can kind of pinpoint one <laughs> oh, no that's I really such a hard can't. question I, I really it? can't there's so many <clears throat> there are genuinely there are so so many career highlights there's so many things that I think back to you, you know like I, I think the first time some of the senior divers won medals on the world stage like that was massive because as a as a team of of myself and, and the coaching team and some of the support staff we've been supporting them since they were juniors so we've kind of been on that journey with them and seen it from the beginning right the way through to them being successful on a senior stage which was massive like the the rowing experience being like that that was historical yeah. that year and it was nothing about the result it was about a group of phenomenal women that went out and made history and created a legacy it was just like that was phenomenal and then obviously the lionesses in, in the summer and the impact of that on the societal impact of what happened Absolutely. during the Euros is, is enormous. And to have been had the privilege to have been part of that is phenomenal. There's just, there's so many different things and then small things as well of just, of knowing that you have had a contribution, even, even just, not just because it's not just but having a contribution to help facilitate how somebody does their job in a way that's more facilitative to the group that they're coaching for example like there's just there's so so many yeah well, and then I think most proud of is probably I think the work that to an extent is the work that we did at the at the English Institute of Sport because it was for two reasons it brought together a team of practitioners that prior previously to that were working pretty independently yeah yeah but through collaboration all of them enhanced their performance enormously and to create a framework for how to deliver psychology systemically organizationally to teams 
where it didn't really exist before. I think that's yeah. been a big thing for me because I think it's impacted on the, the discipline. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Loads of, <laughs> load of stuff. But that's it. I, I think a word that just comes to mind, it's the impact. And impact can just be transitioned in so many different ways. Absolutely. If it's individual, if it's to the sport, if, as you said, if it's to the discipline, um, yeah, the impact that, that you've been able to have is, is phenomenal. Um, and I'm just interested in, because you've worked in um, individual sports, team sports, um, men's team sports, women's team sports, is there a difference with your practice between men's sports, women's sports? Um, is there a difference in the practice I think are there is there a difference in the psychology massively mm-hmm. yes there is is there a difference in terms of practice I think there is a difference in the practice in every single team that I've ever worked in because it is so dependent upon yeah. that team yeah and not not even that it's men or women is that what is their culture what is their context Mm -hmm. what are the demands Mm -hmm. of the sport so I think what I have is a framework for success and so when I start with any team what I'm looking at is where are this where is this team in relation to the things that I think are important in order to create an environment that's conducive to Mm -hmm. extraordinary human performance and positive mental health and Mm -hmm. so then what we do with that team depends upon their current reality where they're trying to get to and what we're going to go after to close the gap in the fastest way possible yeah yeah so yeah and it, and it depends whereabouts they are within the sport in that kind of sense as well of how yeah. how progressive they are within the sport and if it's yeah. in the sport or within the coaching staff or what have you yeah um no yeah that's really interesting um so you've said about uh, that you would advise somebody to go to do some lecturing and and things and the opportunities will you'll always learn from different opportunities is there any other advice that you would give to somebody that wanted to do your job um and I guess is there any specific um qualifications or experience as well um that you would say somebody would need yeah this is a tricky thing of it with psychology a little bit is it's not a short it's not a short qualification route to become a sports psychologist. And unfortunately, I think that that does put a lot of people off. Mm. So I, I think, I think for me, if there are any, any athletes particularly that think that it might be a career path for them is that they just start studying as early as possible whilst they're still, um, they're still competing, participating in their, in their sport career. And actually whether that's psychology or anything else, I think that's fundamental because yeah. when you know from a from a lifestyle perspective and it's the the message that the performance lifestyle guys always used to convey around the importance of multiple identities but it is so so important because the only guarantee in high performance sport is at some time at some point it's not going to be going very well and whether that's because of performance or because of injury or because of some other reason but if everything is about that sport then that can transfer then into the other areas of life really quickly so I actually think it's imperative that anybody any athlete that's involved in any sport is doing something else as well and it doesn't need to be for the means of, of well, this is what the career I'm going to go into. It might just be because it's interesting. Yeah. And actually, if you can then forge a career out of it, then brilliant. But the route to sports psychology is a degree in psychology or a degree, a related discipline. But then you have to do a conversion course to ensure that you've got the necessary psychology component parts to it. 
Mm-hmm. So that's at least three years. Then you have to do a master's, which is at least a year. And then you have to do your postmaster supervised experience, which is at least another two years. So a minimum of it's a minimum of six years training to be at the point where you can um, register with the Healthcare Professionals Council as a psychologist. And even at that point, you're still pretty early career. Yeah. Yeah. So it is a it's a long journey, um, which is worth starting starting early. The good thing is, is that a psychology degree is relevant for millions of jobs. Yeah. It's just a good degree. It's just a good degree to to do because you could go into all sorts of of, of different contexts or different of different jobs off the back of a psychology yeah. degree. And I think that's it. I think it's really important that it's okay to not have a career plan. Absolutely. You know, that if if there is just something that you're interested in, it's okay to yeah. start something not knowing where 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 it will end up going because it will always take you on a direction yeah and I think okay. it's fair to say that the majority of the the majority of the um students on the psychology degree that I did didn't go into becoming psychologists went into yeah. all sorts of different things management consultancy recruitment <laughs> loads loads of different set, loads yeah. of different settings yeah and I think that's one of the main reasons of having these conversations because I think there is this this kind of preconception of mainstream jobs that if you do this you then go on to do that Mm. and I just really want it to be an opportunity to show that it doesn't have to be that way there can be career routes into certain Mm. into certain jobs but starting somewhere you can go off in so many different directions and different people can do the same degree or you know can gain the same experience but but themselves individually will lead them somewhere totally different so you don't have to go in one kind of set one set and and your you know your field as well performance lifestyle player development player support lots of those individuals have got psychology backgrounds yeah Yeah, that's it there's that that interest exactly what you said the interest in human behavior and yeah and heads of performance support that you know leading leading sports science sport medicine teams the the individuals that are successful in those types of roles have got really good understanding of psychology yeah and about how to bring people together and how to work to facilitate effective team cohesion etc yeah so there is millions of jobs in and out of sport i think that that psychology degree is useful for yeah yeah and lastly it's kind of linked to that so that's that's qualification wise Mm -hmm. but for somebody that wanted to be the sports like for the lionesses what qualities would you say that somebody should have to be to be successful um i think i i actually think the biggest thing and not just as a psychologist but i think for anyone involved in sport is that you have to be a team player you you have to want to work collaboratively with others um you have to be reflective and open to alternative points of view and be prepared to change um you have to be personable um yeah you, you have to be able to to challenge appropriately uh there's the, lots but I don't I don't and I don't necessarily think that is just just for a psychologist I think it's everybody working in that environment yeah yeah um, particularly for psychologists though 
you have to be able to self-regulate you have to be able to be in control of your own emotions you have to be able to do and believe in and practice all of the things that you're suggesting to other people that are helpful yeah yeah and so and just so adaptable as you said the the yeah. different levels that you're working with um to to do your practice just changes you have to be able to adapt yeah yeah you have to be comfortable and this is the same for everybody isn't it in elite sport you have to be comfortable yeah. working in an environment that is at times uncomfortable is yeah. definitely uncertain and changes a lot yeah 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 brilliant thank you i have absolutely loved that i oh, thoroughly really enjoyed you Thank I hope you. I didn't go off on too many tangents, which is what I usually do. <laughs> no, 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 no. It was great. It was absolutely great. Thank you so much. Really, really welcome. appreciate your time. Thank you. You're more than welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening today. Oh, the insight that we've just been able to have from Dr. Kate Hayes is just wonderful. Um, I think a lot of people, and rightly so, are really interested in asking her how to positively work with athletes, how and what strategies to use and implement as a sports psychologist in high performance environments and cultures. But to actually have the opportunity to ask how to become that person that's able to do all of that as a sports psychologist well it's just it's really special so starting something because you enjoy it you're interested in it and you're curious as to where it could lead well i think that's just great advice for anybody who's wondering what do i want to be when i grow up so thank you for listening today if you enjoy this podcast please like share follow tell your friends all about it and um and i hope you can join me for the next conversation on When I Grow Up, I Want to Be, the career podcast.